Hey, good evening. Just before we begin uh, this evening's shear, I just wanted to mention that uh, next week uh, we will not be having a shear. I'll be uh, overseas, actually in London, Mitz Hashem, for a family simcha. <coughs> I will be giving a speaking in London, actually, uh, on a Sunday evening in the Monkshul and on Monday evening in Ne'er Yisrael. So Ne'er Yisrael on Monday evening is 8.15 England time. I don't yet know when the monks shear will be, but from what I recall of monks, whatever time it will be, it will be exactly on time. So we turn our attention to Parshas Bo, and towards the beginning we have the final three makos in Parshas Bo, Arbe, Choshech, and Bechoros. And I want to begin in the Makkah of Choshech, which is in Perig Yud. So the Makkah is described in Perig Yud, Pasuk, Kaf Aleph, uh, to Kaf Gibel. Those three psukim really are the, the plague of darkness, as the Pasuk describes in Pasuk uh, Kaf Gimel, Lo ra'u ish es achiv, lo kamu ish people couldn't, they couldn't see each other. It was thick, thick darkness as the uh, Hasidim are wont to comment that uh, for one person not to see his brother, that indeed is, is a harsh makkah. And uh, all the harsher if it's self-inflicted. But <coughs> this is the, the makkah of Choshech. And then the posuk that I, that I want to focus on is posuk kaf dalid vayikra faro el Moshe. So Pharaoh calls Moshe, and he relents vayomer lechu ivdu es Hashem. He he allows them to go. Interestingly, there is something of a discussion among the Mefarshim as to when this meeting between Moshe and Paro took place. The last we heard, the Egyptians were plunged into darkness. The next thing we hear, Paro is calling Moshe. Generally, when Paro calls Moshe, it's when the plague is still happening, to ask him for it to stop, or that's when the pressure is on. <coughs> is that the case here? Well, the there are those who understand that uh, this is after the plague has, has cleared up, but nonetheless, Pyro has, well, dare we say it, seen the light, but uh, he's already calling uh, Moshe, but it is afterwards. However, there are others who understand that it was in the middle of the plague, which means to call Moshe was no, was no mean feat. Everyone's stumbling around in the darkness. The, the, the Nitziv suggests that he got some some Jewish well-wishers to find Moshe, but they're the only ones who can see. But that's an interesting question, how to understand on a parshanut level the three psukim, kaf aleph, kaf beis, and kaf gimel, which describe the plague of darkness, and then the very next pasuk, which has Pyro calling to Moshe, that's post the plague, or, or, or yet within the plague. What is interesting is that if it is in the plague, it might help explain the phraseology of the Pasuk at the end of the meeting. We will yet get back to the details of the meeting, but uh, in the end, it doesn't really go as Pyro wanted, and he ends with a threat to Moshe. And he says in Pasuk, Kafches, Vayomer lo Pyro, Lech me alai, Pyro banishes Moshe, 
and with a warning, with a threat. Take good care. Take good. Do not see me again. The next time you see me, you will die. Very strong words. Well, <coughs> it always strikes me that uh, a threat of this nature, one would have expected perhaps to be phrased the other way around. In other words, the next time you see me, you'll die. Well, how do you know? Maybe he'll see you and you won't see him. <coughs> one would have expected to be phrased from Paros. If, if I ever see you again, I'll kill you or something like that. But why is it phrased for Moshe seeing Paro? Well, if it's in the middle of darkness, so then Paro can't really say the next time I see you because he can't see Moshe now. Moshe, it's, it's, it, it, that's really what it means. If it's in the middle of the Makkah, Moshe can see him. So even when issuing the threat, one can only really speak in terms of Moshe seeing if you ever see me again, but I can't say if I ever see you again because the next time I see you, I'm not, I'm, I'm not seeing you now. Either way. But we come back to Pasuk Kaftalet, and Paro calls Moshe and says, Lechu ivdu es Hashem, you can go, you can serve Hashem. And again, Paro is taken to using the, 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 what we call the Shem Havaya, Yud Kei <coughs> He recognizes that at least as uh, representing the Jewish people. Rak tsonchem uvekarchem yutzag. But only, my only stipulation is, my only reservation <coughs> is that your flock and your cattle will stay here. Your children can go with, that's their problem, but the, but the animals will stay here. What is the point of Paro keeping the animals with him? Well, as the Rishonim explained, because he wants some type of collateral, some type of security, whereby either the Jewish people, this will be cause for the Jewish people to be true to their word and come back because their animals are here. So ideally they will come back. And if they won't come back, at least we have all their animals. But this is Paro's <coughs> stipulation, at least to, to, to hold on to the animals, possibly as a way of holding on to the Jewish people themselves. There's just one problem, and it's a very basic problem in, in the, this Pasuk. And that is the entire request, literally from day one, has been for Moshe on behalf of the Jewish people saying, Shalach es ami v'ya'avduni b'amidbar. Let my people go that they may serve me. V'nizbecha l'ashem elokeinu v'yachoguli b'amidbar. It's going to be a religious festival and it's going to be, going to be involving korbanos. That is... The request from the outset, consistently. What then is the meaning of Paro saying, you can, I, I will allow you to go to this festival, but you can't bring any animals with you. But then, but then what's the point, as, as, as requested? I mean, you can't exactly have Corbonos without Corbonos. So what, is, how, what does Paro mean by saying, go and have your festival, but keep the wherewithal for the festival with me. That's a very interesting shaila. And this question is raised by Rabbi Yosef Salant in the Be'er Yosef. And the answer that he provides is quite, quite, uh, quite a chiddush. And to preface, he brings us back to the beginning of the parsha, where Moshe and Aaron come and predict the plague of Arbe. 
of locusts and Pyro's not having it and he's not interested and he, 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 he sends them out. However, under pressure from his advisors, Pyro calls them back because the, pyro, the advisors say, you, do you not realize that uh, Egypt is lost? Apparently Pyro didn't realize, but his advisors did. And so Pyro is prepared to negotiate. Miva mi ha'olchim. So who's going? Obviously not everyone, so who's going to go? <coughs> but Moshe says, no, everyone. Bin areinu v'zkenenu nelech, bevaneinu v'noseinu, men, women, children, everything. And Paro's response to that is to throw them out. Except the question is, what's changed? He's been pressured to make a concession, and then... When Moshe makes his demands, Pyro just refuses and, and sends them out. So as many Mepharshim explain, what Pyro wasn't able to really connect with and fully, fully understand was how can it be that Moshe and Aaron are demanding a religious festival for the Jewish people, and yet they are also demanding that everyone go to this festival, men, women, and children. That does not check out because as far as uh, Pyro is concerned or the religious notion or conception at the time is that religious worship is for men, not for women, certainly not for children who will just get in the way, which means that from a certain point of view, Pyro feels vindicated in his refusal because if Moshe is asking for a religious festival, why does he want the entire family to go? That's practically a contradiction in terms as far as Pyro is concerned, and he summarily dismisses that. Okay. But Moshe apparently is quite insistent that the children go as well. And what that means is says the Be'er Yosef, is that under additional pressure, we're now in the plague of darkness, either within it or just past it. And Pyro is just about to cave in. And if Moshe says everyone should go, even the children, <coughs> so Pyro is prepared to, to relent. The, but there's just one thing he doesn't understand. It still doesn't make sense to him. Why would children go to be involved in Korbanos? Until he finally realizes if children are meant to be there as part of this sacrificial rite, it's because the children are the carbonos. And that was something that was very prevalent at the time. Pyro would, would never have thought it of the Jewish people, but they're so insistent. And it's amazing the mindset of Pyro, if, this, if we connect with this insight, that it is easier for him to understand that the role of children in that festival is as the korban than simply as participants, because that's, that's impossible. And therefore, Pyro has it all worked out, and <clears throat> he sussed it out, and he comes to Moshe and says, I'm prepared to accede to your request. Your, the children can go. There's just one thing. If they're the korban, you won't need the animals. So the animals can stay by us. So this now, for, for Pyro, this is his, his epiphany as to what the, the festival is really all about. His misunderstanding in, in his mind is that he thought it was about uh, sacrificing animals. So what do children do there? But if you want to sacrifice your children, gesundheit. hate. Uh, many of my best friends uh, do exactly the same thing. But then the animals can stay by us. 
And, and it still didn't, until the very end, the notion that the entire family is going out for korbanos, uh, or for anything religious for that matter, was something that power literally did not get mamish until the end. And, and what is really behind the breakthrough in this notion that a religious festival is for everyone, is for the entire family? <coughs> what, was the, what was it that eluded Paro um, so significantly? So I believe, although the answer perhaps for us is uh, self-evident, but nonetheless to see how it comes out in the psukim, in Perik, Yud Beis Pasuk Kaf Aleph. And Yud Beis, of course, the, is the, the Korban Pesach. Many, many mitzvahs and halachas associated with it. Perik, Yud Beis Pasuk Kaf Aleph. <coughs> there is a comment of Meshachachma, which I believe is one of his uh, extremely profound um, discussions in, in, in the Sefer, certainly in, in, in Parshas Bo, where, which is absolutely packed with uh, insights and discussions from Meshachachma. So, Perik Yud Beis, Pasuk Kaf Alev, Vayikra Moshe L'chozik Nei Yisrael, Vayom Alehem. Moshe calls the elders of Israel, he says to them, Mishchu, draw, Limshoch is to draw, to draw up, to draw forth, something. Mishchu ukechu lachem tzon l'mishpachoseichem, and acquire for yourselves, or take for yourselves, from the flock, for v'shachatu ha-pasach, and shechti, the korban pesach. So here is Moshe, he himself has been given at least uh, um, well over a dozen psukim's worth of mitzvahs from, from Hashem in the earlier part of Perigud Beis, but now he is coming and telling B'nai Yisrael. And he opens with the word mishchu, and these, these, this is actually Moshe's initial mitzvah transmission to the Jewish people when you think about it. Until now, he's been speaking to them about redemption, etc. Redemption is nigh, and etc. But here, mishchu. And what does mishchu mean? <coughs> to, 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 to draw. And on the simplest level, it means draw the korban close to you. But, but what exactly does that mean? And how is that any different, or what does it add to the next word, kahu, which is take for yourselves. Draw for yourselves, take for yourselves. That's why there's certain, these two words, something is, is happening here. What does mishchu add to the word kahu? And it's for this reason that the mechilta on this pasuk says that mishchu means not to draw, as in drawing up or drawing forth, but to withdraw. You need to withdraw. To withdraw from what? Says Mechilta, Mishchu Yedechem Me'avodasara. You need to desist and withdraw from your Avodasara practices. <coughs> Something that we see from Chazal, we also see it in the Navi. The Navi Cheskel and Perak Kaf discusses this explicitly. That they were given messages to desist from Avodazara. The, the Navi goes on to say that they did not heed the messages, or certainly not all of them. Those messages were given to Aaron. Aaron was the Navi for the Jewish people before Moshe came. And so it's interesting that it's explicit in the Navi Yechezkel that the Jewish people were involved in Avodazara. One sees it in, in Chazal, but in the words of the Chumash, not so. It seems that the Chumash is, is uh, dedicated 
purely to extolling the, the, the virtues of the Jewish people. Perhaps it will give us signals uh, with which to, f to fill out the picture. But the time of, of Yetzirah Mitzrayim is a time to focus on everything that's right about the Jewish people. Everything else is, is Beremez. V'day l'chakim ha-Beremizah. So according to the Mechilta, Mishchu means with, withdraw, that is to say, stay your hands from Avodah Zorah, desist in the practice of Avodah Zorah. So that's a command, which and obviously makes sense. As a prelude to entering the service of Hashem, you have to jettison the service of any other false, uh, any deity. But the Meshachachma says, this expression or this pasuk contains not only the command to desist from Avodah Zarah, but also the way how to do it. What does that mean? We know that religious life was very different before Avram came on the scene, and Avram really introduced a revolution into the world. And what was his revolution? Well, as we know, <coughs> it was the difference between polytheism and monotheism, between many deities and, and the one God. However, says Meshachachma, it's beyond that. It's not just, quote-unquote, uh, an arithmetic uh, differentiation, as if to say they have many deities and Avram worships only one. It's more than that. Because if there's only one deity who is above everything, then the nature of that deity is, is by definition transcendent, much more abstract, possibly even uh, unknowable. In other words, the reason why ancient man had so many deities is because there were so many elements in his life and each one was assigned a deity. What that means is his, the deity on the other end, he connected to him or saw him as, the, as, the, as this power. Powers themselves were deified and then were assigned a deity. So, so there was a god of love and a god of beauty or a goddess of beauty, a god of power. Every force that a person could relate to, he could assign a deity to on the other side. But... If that's true, then that deity really represented that force, but didn't transcend it. If there's only one deity, then he is above all of those forces. He is, to be sure, in control of them. But he is not bound by them or, or overly associated with them, because infinity means not bound by, by, by any of those things. It's much more abstract. And this is Avram's Chiddush to the world. Now, one thing we can be certain of, and that is what Avram is doing is he is moving religious observance away from the sensory, away from the experiential or emotional, because all these emotions now had gods attached to them. He's moving away from that much more to an intellectual understanding that at least an apprehension that the deity is beyond all of those things. It's always easier to relate emotionally more to things that we have experience and contact with. 
It's only your mind that can ever really make that leap into the unknown. And that's Avram's Chiddush. Indeed a challenge. And says the Meshachachmam, this is the understanding of the famous statement of Rav Hananiah ben Akasha, which, which is said after Pirkei Ovis and after learning Agoda. Somehow it had mazel, and, and everyone says this, uh, this is the Agoda, <coughs> with which they say Kaddish afterwards. Rotsa HaKadosh Baruch Hu Lezakos Es Yisrael Lafichach Hirulem Torah Umitzvahs What is the meaning of Rotsa HaKadosh Baruch Hu Lezakos Es Yisrael? We normally relate the term lezakos to the expression zechus, which means Hashem wanted to give merit to the Jewish people. And that's why he gave them so many mitzvahs, which is very interesting. As some ask, uh, the more rules there are, the more, well, the more opportunities for merit, but the more opportunities to fall into demerit. If there's only three rules, one could keep all of them. If there's 613, so then it's maybe a bit harder to keep up with them. Either way. So the, the simple meaning is, means Hashem wanted to give zechuyos to Yisrael, to give them merit. But many explain, and Meshach Chochmer here concurs, that lezakos es Yisrael doesn't come from zechus, it comes from the word zikuch. Lezakos is to purify. Zach, like shemen zayit zach, is pure. <coughs> means Hashem wanted to refine the Jewish people. Zikuch is a process of refinement. But how does he refine the for, To refine them from what? And how is it done? This refining process, Lezakos Yisrael, is done by giving them Torah and mitzvahs. What is the role of Torah in this refinement process? And what is the role of mitzvahs? The role of Torah is that it is an intellectual pursuit. And so much emphasis is laid on Torah study. The more a person is involved intellectually with Torah, the more they give primacy and give capacity to things that they need their intellect for. The intellect needs to be alive and well in order to relate to to, to Hashem Echad, to, to a God that needs the intellect to, to apprehend, and not just emotions to, to connect to. And therefore the role of Torah is to develop the Seichel, which is necessary for a God that is beyond all forces to connect to. But what about mitzvahs, after all? Mitzvahs are acts. What do they do? What the mitzvahs do is that they take all the forces which, uh, which hitherto for were objects of worship. People would worship beauty. They'd worship power. They'd worship love <coughs> and all of these things. Again, assigning them a deity. But the, but the range of human experience and emotion was full of things, of forces, which were themselves the ob- object of religious devotion. But how is a person weaned off away from that? That those very emotions and experiences become enlisted in Avodah Hashem. So that a person isn't denying them, but on the contrary, his response to seeing them as 
as recipients of his religious devotion, they're actually tools for his religious devotion. And therefore, love becomes part of Torah. Love of what? Well, of the Jewish people, of one's fellow Jew, of Hashem. Beauty becomes part of Torah to beautify mitzvahs, hidden mitzvahs. Power becomes part of Torah one need to protect the Jewish people against its enemies. One needs power. And so on and so forth. In other words, the way to desist is to enlist. The way to move away from these things as uh, recipients of Avodah is to bring them into their tools now with which to worship, not things that that one worships. And says Meshachachma, Coming back to our Pasuk, Pasuk Kaf Aleph, Perikid Beis Pasuk Kaf Aleph. It's such a profound uh, idea. Moshe calls the Jewish people and says, Mishchu, desist from Avodah Zorah. How are you going to do that? Does it, w- w- what are you going to do with all those forces? And the first example is given in our Parsha. Kechulachem Seichem. Take the flock, because it's going to be a, a celebration for your families, with the family. In other words, a person's love for their family is now part of their avoda of Hashem. And so it is with love, as channeled as something towards avodas Hashem, so it is with everything else. And I think this really is the full answer to, to what, what eluded Paro. He couldn't understand how can a religious a festival be something for the whole family because religion in his conception was worshipping these forces and family just gets in the way but Moshe says no because the entire family is part of it the full range of human experience and emotion is part of service of Hashem that's how all of these forces are, are <coughs> accounted for and enlisted in their, in their true purpose so these are um, wonderful uh, comments with which to understand the Parsha and of course they're, they're really uh, portals into, in, into the heart of Judaism uh, ultimately from there I'd like to <coughs> talk about one of the mitzvahs of the Parsha actually it begins in the Pesach Haggadah there is uh, one of the mitzvahs, as we know, is to remember Yitzhak Mitzrayim every day and every night. <clears throat> On a regular basis, it's a mitzvah from the Torah to remember Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Uh, what is the source for this mitzvah? After all, every mitzvah has a source. A mitzvah from the Torah has a source in the Torah. Well, if we, if we recall from the Pesach Haggadah, well-known passage, there is a pasuk which says... <coughs> that you have to remember all the days of your life this of course is the subject of the famous machlokas between Rabbi Loza ben Azariah and ben Zoma and the sages he was never able to prove he's like he's 70 years old and, 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 and until ben Zoma came along um, that one should also remember Yitzhak Mitzrayim at night in the words of the Haggadah when it talks about the days of your life, that's the day. All the days of your life 
is Lerabos Eshalelos, also a night, and that is for us now the <coughs> the mitzvah of remembering Yetzirah Mitzrayim every day and every night. The reason why I mention this here, that posuk of Leman Tiskor, etc., Koyimechayecha, is in Parshas Re'e. It's in Devarim Perik Tet Zayin. So, so that's where the, that's where the mitzvah is, okay? And we can wait. However, <coughs> if you look in Rashi, on our parsha, that's Shmos Perik Yud Gimel Pasuk Gimel, which states, "Zachor esayom hazeh asher yitzasem mimitzrayim." Remember this day that you left Mitzrayim. Okay. Rashi comments. Lamad, from this we learn, Shemazkirin Yetzias Mitzrayim Bechol Yom. We remember Yetzias Mitzrayim every day. That's what we learn from this Pasuk. So now we have a bit of a problem. Because last we checked in the Pesach Haggadah, the Pasuk under discussion as the daily mitzvah for remembering Yetzias Mitzrayim is Laman Tiskor in Parshas Re'e. Rashi didn't wait that long. Rashi says in our Parsha, Yud Gimel, Pasuk Gimel, from the word Zachor, we learn the mitzvah of remembering Yetzirah Mitzrayim. So how do those two competing quote-unquote sources go together? Related to this, there is a very uh, well-known discussion among many, many Mepharshim, with reference to the Rambam. The Rambam surprised everyone when it came to this mitzvah, because the Rambam has a Sefer HaMitzvahs. He codifies all the 613 mitzvahs. And <clears throat> to everyone's surprise, while it's true that he mentions in the Mishnah Torah, he meant in, in the Halachas, he says, a, a, a person has to remember, it says Mitzrayim, in the day and in the night. But he didn't find room for it in the Sefer HaMitzvahs. It's not one of the 613 mitzvahs. And the question, of course, <coughs> is why not? After all, it's learned from a Pasuk. What is a Torah mitzvah, if not something that's learned from a Pasuk in the Torah? I mean, what, what more could one ask for? And this, then, is the great mystery. Where did the, this mitzvah go that the Rambam did not see fit to, or is correct or appropriate, to incorporate it, include it within the list of Taryag mitzvahs? And I would like, briefly, to take a look at two answers to this question. Each one will be uh, a, a chidush in its own way, but it will give us a very important principles even beyond the present discussion. And in fact, if we begin with uh, the mitzvah of building the Beis HaMikdash, which is one of the 613 mitzvahs, to build the Beis HaMikdash, what's the source? Well, Rambam says, the source of the mitzvah to build the Beis HaMikdash is the Pasuk, V'asudi Mikdash. Couldn't be clearer. V'asudi Mikdash. There we go. There's just one problem. That Pasuk Va'asuli Migdash, which is in the beginning of Parshas Truma, was said specifically with reference or in the context of the Mishkan, which is in the wilderness. There are other Psukim 
which are much more explicit about the Beis HaMikdash itself. Later on in Tevarim, it will be the place that Hashem chooses to have his divine presence there. There you shall bring the Korbanus. That's the Beis HaMikdash. <coughs> so the Rambam is talking about that. So why would he choose the less specific verse in Truma, which is really about the Mishkan primarily, and ignore the Psukim, which are about the Beis HaMikdash? And choose the former as the source for the mitzvah of building the Beis HaMikdash. Rabbi Yosef Cairo, in the, in the Kesef Mishnah, says very simply, the Rambam has a strict methodology. A mitzvah means a commandment. If that's true, then what you need in order to form the source for a mitzvah is the Torah commanding you to do something. Sometimes the Torah describes something, which means it's very clearly part of what the Torah wants or its program, but the Torah doesn't yet necessarily command you to do it. All of those psukim in, Dev, in Chumash Devarim, which are talking more about the Beis HaMikdash, they are. But none of them actually say to build the Beis HaMikdash. They talk about it as if it exists already. The place that Hashem chooses to, to cause His divine presence, that's where you should bring Korbanus. But it never says to make such a place. So without the Torah saying to make it, without the Torah commanding to make it, that can't be the source for the mitzvah to make it. <clears throat> and that's why the Rambam prefers to bring us back to the beginning of Parshas Truma. In context, it's the Mishkan, true. But you know what it has going for it, so to speak? It's a mitzvah. Ve'asuli mikdash, and they shall make for me a mikdash. And interestingly, as other Mephoshim point out, without getting too ahead of ourselves for Parshas Truma, throughout all of those Parshas, the Mishkan is called the Mishkan. The only exception is in this verse, which says ve'asuli mikdash which indicates and supports the Rambam's understanding that this is for all Mikdashes, not just for the Mishkan. And the Mishkan was the first of the Mikdashes, but it wasn't the last. And this mitzvah is going is to keep the Jewish people going for a while. So that is the comment of, of Kesev Mishnah. And what do we see? We see, <coughs> once again, it's, it's a, seemingly a very obvious thing to say, but it makes a big difference. There's a methodology. In order for something to be considered a mitzvah of the Torah, the Torah needs to command to do it. If the only place where the Torah commanded to build anything was in Truma, that's your source. Because there is no other source. And that's it. And it covers all Bati Mikdash. Similarly, another example before we come back to our case, and so that the way should be uh, maximally paved for us. According to the Rambam, <coughs> davening every day is a mitzvah from the Torah. Not everyone agrees to that. Ramban famously uh, argues. And Ramban sees it as an opportunity, but not an obligation per se. But for the Rambam, it's a mitzvah to daven, which is itself a very interesting concept. I mean, again, prayer, we would see it as, a, as, as something that exists, that's uh, possible to, to take advantage of. But the Torah says, no, you, you need to do it. Where does the Torah ever talk about davening? Well, uh, anyone who's f- familiar with the, the drasha, if I'm not mistaken, even Rashi brings it, from the second parsha of Shema. Ula avdo b'chol Serving Hashem with all your heart. 
which, which the Gemara in the beginning of Maseches Tanis formulates, what does it mean, avoda shebelev? That's why davening is called avoda shebelev, service of the heart. That's tefillah. So says the Gemara. Which means, if we know our Talmud, we now know that if you want to know where the Gemara identifies davening as being referred to in the Pasuk, it's the words, Ula'avdo b'chol levavichem, avoda shebelev. Now we know. The Rambam when he codifies the mitzvah of tefillah, of davening, says, mitzvah balel yom. It's a mitzvah, positive mitzvah to daven every day. As it says, shene emar, and he quotes a posuk in Parshas Mishpatim, which says, ve'ovadato es Hashem alokecha, shall serve Hashem. Now, the Rambam continues, what does that mean? It could mean anything. It could mean everything. It could be just general being Jewish or keeping mitzvahs. However, says Rambam, no. <coughs> because later on in Shema, it will say, And that's Avodah Shebelev. That's Tefillah. So to summarize, or to recap, the Rambam begins with the Pasuk in Mishpatim, which is undefined. It just says, Serve Hashem. Hashem It then goes to the Pasuk in Devarim to define it. Means Tefillah. So, ever with an eye on economy, this raises a simple question. The first passage doesn't really talk about tefillah. So, why not just cut to the chase? Why not just start with the second passage, which is talking about tefillah? Why did we first check in with the passage in Parshas Mishpatim? He once again says the Kesef Mishnah, the answer is as per the above. Ulav Levavchem is a description of you serving Hashem. Descriptions do not commandments make. And therefore, if all you had was the words it would be a Torah idea or ideal, <coughs> but it wouldn't be a Torah mitzvah. And therefore, if you're looking for a mitzvah, you need to find a place that it's commanded. <coughs> and where is that? The first Pasuk in Mishpatim, which is a command. Serve Hashem, that's a command. We now need to find out what that means. We need to, to, to crystallize it and, and, and give it more definition. Now you can go to the other passage which describes what Avoda is. Avoda Shebelev is davening. So these two examples, which are very clear, the, the theme that emerges is a mitzvah needs a command. It's a command. It's called a commandment for a reason. It needs a command. Achar hadvarim ha'ele. Now, when we come back to ask ourselves, why would the Rambam not codify remembering Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim every day? Why would we do not codify that as, as one of the 613 mitzvahs? The answer, says the Nodib Yehuda, is very simple. Because the source in the Torah, which, is, which the Haggadah discusses, is Leman Tizkoros, Yom Tzeschem, Eret Mitzrayim, Koyemechayacha, which literally translates as, in order that you should remember. It's the second half of a Pasuk. It's the result of what's mentioned earlier in the Pasuk. What is mentioned earlier in the Pasuk? Eat matzah for seven days in order that you should remember Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim all the days of your life. So this Pasuk that we're so familiar with, Lema and Tizkor, we need to look at it and realize it's not a mitzvah. 
Because the Torah doesn't say, remember. The Torah says, do the above in order that you should remember. The Torah clearly wants you to remember, but, but that's not a mitzvah. Not one of the Torah mitzvahs, because the Torah never actually said, remember. And that is why <coughs> the Rambam misses out Zechir, as he says, with Rhyme, from the list of Taryak. Coming back to Rashi, in our Parsha, we can now understand why, why Rashi said what he did. Again, Rashi in our Parsha is Perikud Gimel, Pasuk Gimel. The Pasuk says, Zachor Sayom Hazer, remember this day. Says Rashi, you know what we're looking at? A mitzvah. Lamad, we learn from here, Shemazkir and Yetzias Mitzrayim, Bechol Yom. From here we learn that we remember Yetzias Mitzrayim every day. Our question was, isn't there another Pasuk that teaches us this mitzvah? No. There is no other Pasuk that teaches you this mitzvah because Lema'an Tizkor in Prumish Devarim is not a command. If you're looking for a mitzvah, you need the Torah to command. And that you have in our Pasuk. Zachor Eseyom Hazeh. But what about the Haggadah? The Haggadah discusses the other Pasuk. Yes. Once you know that it's a mitzvah from our Pasuk, you can then look elsewhere to delineate its details. When? Only by day, also by night. Once it's established as a mitzvah, once it's registered as a mitzvah, which it is as per our parsha, you can then find out the details of the mitzvah by day and by night, etc., the Yimosh HaMashiach, whatever it is, by the later mitzvahs. But, but if they're not phrased as a, as a mitzvah, then they can't be the source for the command. The only remaining question, if we've come this far, and hopefully it hasn't eluded us, the Rambam didn't, min- didn't mention it at all as a mitzvah. Rashi agrees that that later posseg in Re'eh is not a mitzvah because it's just Lema'an Tizkor, but he identified the source in our Parsha. Zachor, that's a command. So even if the Rambam didn't codify it as per the, the, the non-command in Chumash Devarim, why does he not codify it as per the yes command in our Parsha of Zachor? But the answer, just to, just to see how things round off here, and how the, 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 the discussion is, uh, is completed, is that the Rambam enlists the Pasuk in our Parsha, Perig Yud Gimel, Pasuk Gimel, as the source for the mitzvah of telling the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim on Seder night. We always assume that the source for the mitzvah of Sipur Yitzhak Mitzrayim on Seder night, which is the annual is which is also at the end of our Parsha. That seems to be the source. That's how the Haggadah talks about it. And according to the Rambam, it is a source, but it's not the only source. The first source of the Rambam cites is the Pasuk, and then he cites Vigadatalavincha. So if we see how each one, in terms of how they understand our Pasuk, they both understand that our Pasuk of Zachor is a mitzvah. The question is, which mitzvah is it? For Rambam, it's the daily mitzvah. <coughs> so then daily is now a mitzvah from the Torah. 
But for Rambam, no, it's the yearly mitzvah of Seder night, which means the daily mitzvah is left without a command. And that's why it's not in the Tariq mitzvahs, even though, of course, the Rambam speaks about it in the, in the halacha. So this, if we could sum up everything we've said in the final few moments, uh, and just to, just to reiterate, the moral of the story is a mitzvah of the Torah needs a command. And therefore, if you're going to include something, you have to identify the place where the Torah commanded, even if it might not be the most intuitive place, and you might have reason to think otherwise. And if, you, and if there is no such command, it remains something that's in the Torah, but not one of the 613 mitzvahs. A very different approach to explaining why the Rambam did not codify remembering Yitzhak Mitzrayim every day in the Tarot Mitzvahs is said by two of the great Gedolim. One of them is, the, is, is Reb Chaim Soloveitchik, as is cited by his grandson, Reb Yosef Dov Soloveitchik, in the famous Yortzeit Shiurim, and also the Or Sameach. For, for us, we, we hear mostly from the Meshachachma, but in his Sefer on the Rambam, Or Sameach, he, he, he concurs. And it's as follows. In what capacity or in what context do we fulfill this mitzvah of remembering Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim every day? It's the third parsha of Shema. It's Vayomer. That's how we conclude. We say it in the morning, we say it in the evening, in fulfillment of the mitzvah to remember it in the day and in the night. So that's very interesting that it, it forms <coughs> the third paragraph in the institution that we call the reading of Shema. Says Reb Chaim Soloveitchik, what is the goal? I mean, to ask the most basic question, what is the goal? Why did Hashem take us out of Mitzrayim? Well, uh, uh, the answer is right in front of us. Hashem says, why did I take you out of Mitzrayim? To be a God to you. The purpose of the exodus from Mitzrayim was to connect us with Hashem, that, that, that we become his people. So if the purpose of the event itself was in order to establish that relationship, then what is the goal of remembering the Exodus every day? It's for purposes of renewing that relationship every day, which we do in a mitzvah which is called Shema. The mitzvah of Shema is referred to as Kabbalah's Al-Malchus Shemaim. It's accepting the yoke of heaven. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. What do we do in the morning and the evening? Erev avoka v'chol yom tamid, pamayim ba'ava shema omrim. What do we do with the, <coughs> with the mitzvah of Shema? It's about accepting upon ourselves for that day, for that morning, for that evening, Hashem as our God in, on a daily basis. So then how does remembering Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim fit into that? It's part of the mitzvah of Shema. If the goal of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim itself was to lead us to accept Malchus Shemaim, then remembering it every day is, to, is in, for, for the same result, for us to accept Malchus Shemaim on that day. That's the mitzvah of Kriyat Shema. 
And ultimately what they wish to say is, the reason why the Rambam did not codify the mitzvah of remembering Yitzhak Mitzrayim every day as a mitzvah of Taryag is because it is not a separate mitzvah. The Rambam himself has said sometimes mitzvahs have many parts. And each part <coughs> will, be, will be subsumed within, within the, the broader mitzvah. And therefore the, therefore the Rambam doesn't codify remembering Yitzhak Mitzrayim every day because it's part of the mitzvah of Shema. It is a branch of that mitzvah, a tributary of that mitzvah, and not a stone mitzvah, which is a, a, a very fascinating approach to this question. <coughs> there are possibly even halachic ramifications, which we're not going to go into just right now, but also a, a, a very uh, profound reminder for us, as we're in these weeks with the mitzvahs of Yitzhak Mitzrayim and the parashas of Yitzhak Mitzrayim to remember what it was all for and how that finds expression in our daily, in our daily mitzvah observance through remembering Yitzhak Mitzrayim as part of the mitzvah of Shema. <coughs> well, I'd like to uh, conclude by taking a look at a pasuk again at the end of the parsha. It's one of the tefillin sukim. And the Torah has a number of names for tefillin. <clears throat> in fact, the Torah calls them everything except for tefillin. But uh, we know, of course, that, uh, for example, it uses the expression totophos. Right? Whatever uh, totophos means. But in Pasuk Tes, Perik Yud Gimel, Pasuk Tes, the tefillin are called two other things. Let us take a look. Dvayalacha laos ayadcha, of course, the, these are psukim that are written in the tefillin themselves. They shall be for you a sign on your hand, on your arm or hand, urizikaram benenecha, and as a remembrance between your eyes. So, so there we go. So, this is the very first discussion or, or, or a source, really, for the mitzvah of tefillin. Back again to our you know, sources for mitzvahs, because in the end, the Torah will tell, will tell us to put on tefillin no less than four times, each time with two, with two parts to it. So that's, that's a lot of sources, in fact. Either way, in our pasuk we see that the Torah is called an os and a zikaron. There's even an int- a very interesting shayla, only to mention it, but uh, before we get back to <coughs> gufa shal inyan, um, we mentioned the, the, the parshas of the tefillin. Uh, how many parshas did the Jewish people have at that time? What is the background to the question? There's four parshas in tefillin. Two of them are in our parsha. So as they receive them, so is this. So shall it be received, so shall it be written. But the other two parshas are Shema and Vahayim Shamoa. That's in Sefer Devarim. So, what are the implications for the tefillin of the Jewish people? And this question is actually discussed by the Rashba in Maseches Menachos. And the Rashba states that the parshas of Shema and Vahaya im Shema, which constitute two of the four uh, sections in the tefillin, were already given to the Jewish people as part of the mitzvah of tefillin as soon as they left Mitzrayim. They were not written in the Torah until Chumash Devarim. There's many things that the Jewish people had already from the outset, but will not be written down as part of the Chumash in Devarim. But that's really more a question of how the Chumash works. 
So it's, it's fascinating to, to consider that 40 years later, when the Jewish people are hearing Chumash Devarim, at least two paragraphs they know very well. And that is Shema and Vayim Shamo, which have not yet been part of Torah Shebechtav, uh, but, but have been part of their Tfilin for 40 years already. Either way, <coughs> to come back to the two terms in Pasuk Tes, Os Ayodcha, a sign for your hand, and Zikaron Beninecha. What is the meaning, what is the connotation of a sign? And what is the connotation of a remembrance? And moreover, why does the Tfilin split up in this way? Our, our notion of the difference between Tfilin Shayad and Tfilin Shorosh are, are simply in terms of where you put them, but we assume their function is the same. We wouldn't give them different characterizations, different designations, and yet the Torah does. The Torah says the tefillin that's on your arm is an os. The tefillin that's between your eyes is a remembrance. So, so, so what, is, what, is the, what are these two things, and how do they accrue to these two types of tefillin? Back again to Meshachachma in one of his closing comments of the Parsha. Zikaron constitutes a remembrance, that is to say, it cements something that you knew already. But it's a reminder, in the same way that you can only ever really be reminded of something that you already knew. So as the Koran comes to consolidate something that you already knew, but now you know it more, okay, that's Zikoran. So Zikoran works backwards for things that you knew already. Os, a sign is the opposite. People always ask for, it's a sign of things to come. And that's just not, not just a turn of phrase. People ask for a sign of something that, that, for, that will occur. So that's actually looking forwards. Somehow the tefillin are a sign of things to come. They are a remembrance of things past and a sign of things to come. How so and what does this mean? <coughs> Says Meshachachma, the events of Yitzhak Mitzrayim had both roles for us. Because on the one hand, they cemented for us through experience things that we already knew about Hashem, but now experienced in a much more uh, relatable way. For example, what is the message of Avram down for his descendants, which has not been eclipsed from them, it's been perhaps faded a little bit, but there's Hashem who supervises, there's, there's reward and punishment, there's, there's divine providence, there's Hashem is in control of the world. These are things that are known from Avram, Yitzhak and Yaakov down. But you cannot compare knowing them in an abstract way to seeing them depicted and, and expressed in the year of the plagues and Yitzhak Mitzrayim. You know it on a completely different level now. Because if Hashem says, if someone asks, do you believe in divine supervision? Yes. Based on what? Based on the fact that for the last year, these plagues have been uh, attacking the Egyptians and avoiding the Jewish people. Do you believe in reward and punishment? Yes. Look what's happened to the Egyptians. Right? Ultimately, they, they, they get their comeuppance in, in no uncertain terms. So what is all that called? It's called a zikaron in the same way that when you're reminded of something, you knew it, but now it's recalled and you know it more. So Yitzhak Mitzrayim is a Zikaron for all the things that we knew about Hashem, but now we know them more. And that's why the Zikaron is on the head. Because these are, once again, things that we know. But now we know them more. 
And what about the os? In what way is it a sign, a sign of things to come? Because Geulah, because Geulah's Mitzrayim is the beginning of the Jewish people. But having begun the relationship, Hashem will never abandon them, which means what he did for them in Egypt, he's going to do for them again. And in that respect, Yitzhak Mitzrayim, as the root redemption experience of the Jewish people, it's a sign for them. And moreover, says, says Meshachachma, it's a great chizuk. Sometimes the Jewish people might think, you know, we're not in such good shape. We're not, we're not at our best. I don't know if we're the most, uh, you know, observant and lofty uh, generation that's ever been. Says Meshachachma, well, neither was the generation that left Mitzrayim. But it happened anyway. And therefore, part of the sign is that the Jewish people should do their best but they should never despair of redemption. And that is why, amazingly, the tefillin are worn on the weaker hand. Al-Yod-Cha, which is spelled actually not here, but in the later Pasuk, Yud-Dalet-Kaf-Hey-Yad-Ke-Ha. The weaker hand. Why? Because even if the Jewish people are not at their strongest, they're in a weak position. Yitzhak Mitzrayim still happened. And Geula can happen again. And moreover, and this Meshachachma, interestingly, doesn't say, but what else do we know about the, about the hand filling? They're worn on the weaker hand and they're turned inwards towards the heart. Because, because what, is, what is a sign? It's a sign of what to hope for. Hope resides within the heart. Understanding resides within the head. You can have a zikaron in your head, but your hope is in your heart. And therefore, it's the weak hand, it's the yad keha, which gives the Jewish people hope. That, 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 that they can never consider themselves to be beyond redemption. And <coughs> that is the way that the, that the Meshachachma closes this discussion. And, and, and what a wonderful conclusion. It, we, because it, the idea of an os, it takes the parshas of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, it takes them out of history. As it, so the difference between something that's historical and something that's historic is that if it's historical, it remains in history. But if it's historic, it begins a historic process that keeps going after it. Yitzhak Mitzrayim is not just historical, it's historic for us. And, uh, and it's something that's happened, which can happen again every time. As the Pasuk says in Micha, Ki flows. Just as you left Mitzrayim, as says Hashem, there's a prophet in the name of Hashem, I'll show you wonders again. And these are things that we, we hope for and we look forward towards. And we, we, we have them on, on our, our weak arm, but it's turned it towards our heart. And perhaps the tefillin, they work together as a team. The more we do our best to consolidate within, our, within Bene Necha, the things that we should know, the more entitled we will be in order to, uh, to hope for good things. And we do have good things. We should have Besurus Tovas. Yeshuas v'nachamus v'kimeitzei seinu merit mitzrayim yarenu neflos v'yachish lanu Yeshuas. All the very best. Have a wonderful week. And we'll meet again in Mitzvah Hashem in two weeks' time.